0: Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of the Share Life Podcast. Today we're doing an inspirational interview with Liz McVicker. Liz, say hello. Hi, Jason. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. Um,
0: Liz is a life and leadership coach. Her business is called the Cadence Collective, which I love. Um, I'll ask you as part of your story to tell us where that name comes from. Sure. Um, me and Liz uh, know each other from years ago when we uh, I moved to Atlanta in 2005. And several years after that, um, we uh, we actually when we moved to Atlanta, we we lived in Norcross and there was this church down the street called Victory World Church. And my wife was like, we need to go to church. Um, and uh, this seems like a good place to go. <laughs> and uh, it's a very unique place in a lot of ways, very multicultural um, and a wonderful place. And we were very grateful for the four years that we went there um, and we met there and um, and we got connected and, and a lot has changed uh, since since then for you. And uh, and we got reconnected um, for those of uh, for those of the listeners that have listened to some past episodes. I had one with Natalie Bourne and she recently launched her book. And uh, I attended and had a bit of a reunion with some folks from Victory World Church. And Liz was one of those. So when I found out she was a life coach, a leadership coach, I said, you ought to come on the podcast. And she said, yes. So Liz, uh, I'll let you take it from here. Tell us about you, your story, how you ended up at Victory and how this Cadence Collective thing plays a role in it.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Jason. It was definitely a blast from the past to see you at the book launch. And I have to say, I think you're aging backwards.
0: (laughs) It's possible. I
1: exactly the same. It's not I am 38,
0: <laughs> but somebody thought I was 24 the other a few weeks ago. Wow. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really look young. I have so. shaved a little recently, so I'm not in caveman mode. That helps look a little younger. <laughs>
1: I need to get your uh, your diet and your beauty regimen.
0: <laughs> it's they mostly get- in the jeans and then spicy food is the is really it. So the hotter you can go, the better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, um, like you said, I own the Cadence Collective Life and Leadership Coaching Practice, and um, I've been coaching for many, many years, but it wasn't until last September that I decided to leave my corporate job to bet on myself, start the entrepreneurial journal, hang out my my entrepreneurial journey, and hang out my shingle um, to... See, see if I could do this. Yeah. And so, um,
0: well, that's interesting. So your, your yeah. background is completely corporate. Like you've never been entrepreneurial. This is your first time jumping out.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, when I graduated college, I, uh, worked in corporate. Um, I was in uh, television, worked at CNN and some other local stations Yeah. and then got the call to ministry and, uh, actually ended up doing ministry for 15 years. Yeah. And loved it. Grew a lot there, and then got called back into corporate. Mm. And um, at that point, I was working for um, an addiction treatment center, helping doctors, lawyers, and pilots get okay. into treatment. Because I don't know about you, Jason, but I want my pilot to be sober.
0: <laughs> that would be <laughs> <I> ideal. <laughs>
1: want her to be sober. I also want my surgeon to be sober. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I did that for a couple years and really, really loved it. And the company I was with. Had some leadership changes, and um, I decided to leave that company I love and, and go to another company, which ended up not being a great decision. Mm. Um, the, the company culture was very um, all work and no play, 12-hour days, KPIs, yeah. numbers. Uh, it was just a really stressful environment. And I kept telling myself that this cadence that I was running at is just a season. And mm. then I realized this wasn't a season. This is the company culture. Yeah. And so I had been coaching on the side. I had hired life coaches. I knew it was in me, but I was just so afraid to to take the leap. Yeah. And you know, a, a few years before that, I thought maybe I wanted to be a therapist because I'd worked with a lot of therapists in the addiction treatment world, and you know, I went to a couple interest. Um, sessions at different universities. And I was like, you know, therapy is really cool, but it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I didn't have the language yet for coaching. Mm. And when I got introduced to coaching, I was like, Oh, this is what I've been looking for. my Yeah. Whole
0: life. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah. to, to rewind a step here, um, let's, let's kind of go to that toxic culture uh, thing. Yeah. What, what would you tell someone that is looking for a job? On how to see if that's the culture they're going into, and would there be any advice you would have for them if they've already made that decision and they're in it now?
1: yeah, um, so if I'm being completely transparent, Jason, when that job offer landed in my lap, I sort of put some of my due diligence aside because mm. the salary was so amazing, yeah, and I thought to get paid that much money, I can put up with anything, yeah. And so I think first of all, if, if you're looking to make a switch, like really evaluating what are your priorities? Like is work-life balance important? I mean, I would have said it was important before Mm. making the switch, but, um, should have asked more questions. And then if you're already in that situation, ironically, while at that job, I coached three coworkers out of it and into new positions. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. So um you know because i i could see how it was affecting me how it was affecting my team and um i mean some people love that some people are wired to work like that but that just doesn't line up with my um my family values my faith values and um thankfully i got out in 4 months um before just completely wrecking my body and my relationships
2: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: so, uh, i mean sometimes you You just have to take the leap and trust that, you know, if, if you're not living in a way that's congruent with who you are, that there's something better through through a different work.
0: So the, the salary thing, was it more of an appealing thing? Like, Oh wow, this is amazing. Or was it like you were in a life situation where you kind of needed the money? Like which, which of the two was it?
1: Yeah. So, um, my previous job, I was making really, really (laughs) good money. And when this job, I mean, they, they came after me, you know? And I had no intentions of leaving my current job. So when they said, hey, what are your salary requirements? I just doubled my salary. Yeah. And they called me the next day and said, okay, we'll do that. And I was wow. like,
0: <laughs> So wait, it's wait, almost wait like you put up a, a roadblock, but they ended up yeah. accepting it. And, and then we <laughs> it.
1: Yeah. And I was yeah. like, wow, they're willing to pay me that? I mean, I'd never made that much money in my life. And, uh, you know, it was already something I love to do, but um, there were definitely some some traps that I was unaware of.
2: Yeah.
0: Now how you've been in ministry in the corporate world. So how do you, um, how do you see the two and, and what are the similarities? And what are the differences?
1: Gosh. Yeah. That is such a loaded question, right? Like <laughs> a lot of similarities in that, you know, people are people, right? Like I think sometimes when, um, you know, people come on a church staff. My husband is also in full-time ministry. And <clears throat> when we were working together, new staff members would come on and they'd be you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and have right. all of this excitement about working on a church staff. And we would pull them aside and said, hey, if you want to make it in church world, then you got to deal with a fence in your heart because you're still working with humans. Like, Just because those humans are of Christian faith doesn't mean they're, you know, always going to do the right thing, say the right thing, and you're not always going to do the right thing and say the right thing. So, you know, kind of helping uh, new staff members kind of temper that expectation. Um, But from a uh, similarity standpoint, I mean, there's a lot. Like you work hard, you work long hours. Uh, Sometimes the motivation is just different than than corporate.
0: Yeah. Does it feel more meaningful then in that regard? And is that meaning actually real or is it just what we tell ourselves?
1: <laughs> yes. And so when I worked in full-time ministry, I really felt like ministry was in the four walls. And then once I got out of ministry and worked in corporate, I realized I was still in full-time ministry. It was just packaged differently. Yeah. You know, I was bringing healing to people in a different way through addiction treatment
3: mm-hmm. and
1: still taking who I was in essence and who God was in me out to the world. So in a lot of ways, I felt like I was more in ministry working. Yeah. In corporate, yeah, you know? yeah. But both are equally as valuable. I think a lot of people think if you work in a church, then you're in full-time ministry. And and I would challenge that and say, if you were a Christian, you were in full-time ministry, regardless of who your employer is.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think sometimes yeah. people have, a, have this call to ministry and a general universal sense and i think my general recommendation to them is um to minister one god might be trying to minister to us yeah (laughs) two he might be asking us to minister to others that are around us it may not necessarily have to be a formal thing if you go through those steps and then it's still the feels feel that call then then i think then then maybe explore it but but i think sometimes we maybe confuse that call with um with the other the other two options options
1: yeah, I mean, like my husband, for example, uh, he has been in full time ministry for, I don't know, maybe 17 years or something. He is called to the full time ministry. What he mm-hmm. does, the gifts he brings, and it's a perfect fit for him. And it was a perfect fit for me for so many years. But um, just because you're called to it doesn't mean God can't change his mind yeah. or change your plan or, you know, just being open and listening to what he has for you in that season, I think is super important.
0: Yeah, and letting those prepare us for the other seasons yeah. that are ahead. Now, yeah. what would you say... So I have some extended family that has worked in the ministry world. Um, and it actually made them pretty cynical and um, kind of talks talks about what you were... You're, it kind of hits on what you were talking about. Um, so what would you say to... One, what would you say to people going to ministry like how to prepare themselves before they go in so they don't become that cynical person. And then what would you say to that cynical person that's like, wow, sometimes it seems like Christians are are even worse than than the rest of the world.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, unfortunately, I I mean, I don't know your family, but I know a lot of people like your family. (laughs) Um, You know, they come in and they expect other people to manage their internal world. And when we do that, we do get cynical. We do get offended. We do get hurt. It is not my pastors, my employers, my coworkers responsibility to manage my internal world, my expectations and my offense. And, you know, a lot of church members that are burned out, offended, cynical, the number one question I would ask them is, are you taking a Sabbath? Yeah. And most of them are not. Yeah. They're, they're too busy and we can't negate the things that God told us to do and expect to be well on the inside.
2: Yeah.
0: you know. Yeah. And that's, you know, I can relate uh, as I've shared with you before, you know, it was Johnson at uh, Bowie at uh, Victory that asked me that question. Are you doing a Sabbath when I was in my burnout peak burnout season? And yeah. I was like, actually, you know, I kind of, it kind of got taken away from me and I let it happen. And then I embraced, embraced Sabbath free life. <laughs> so I better, I better undo that. So. Why, uh, why, do you, why do you ask that question? Uh, how does that tie into the bigger picture?
1: Yeah, because I think when we don't take a Sabbath, first of all, that's a choice, right? Like that mm-hmm. choosing to not manage our time and not take a Sabbath is self-inflicted. And overwhelm is self-inflicted. Yeah. And I think it, it comes down to three things. People get into overwhelm because they believe one of three lies. I am what I do. I am what I have, or I am what other people think of me. And okay. when they run their calendar and their schedule and their life that way, when they're fueled by that, there's no way a human can maintain that. There's no mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so that leads to overwhelm. And Sabbath is a time to rest and reflect. And, yeah. you know, you brought up Pastor Johnson, like, I love one of the things he says is untaken Sabbaths accumulate.
2: Yeah. Yeah
1: so true like we we can't negate that and just expect life to to work yeah. out and just keep going you know it, it catches up with this
0: yeah i once heard uh um this guy was was on a tv station i think his name was jonathan Kahn or something but he he was just talking about how the israelites like they they abandoned the sabbath year for seventy years and then they went into exile for seventy years. So that idea of like you're gonna get your yeah. Sabbath whether you choose it or whether it's forced on you. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know, I think it's funny, Jason, because we are giving given fifty-two Sabbaths at the beginning of every year.
3: Yeah. Gifts,
1: right? And we get to choose whether we take them or not. And you know, for a long time I was taking a Sabbath externally, meaning, you know, I wasn't working that day, or as Pete scazzaro calls the bastard Sabbath, where maybe you're not working, but you're, you know, cleaning your house and running errands. Mm. and So I was Sabbathing on the outside, but still churning on the inside. Mm. And so it took me a while to get to a place where I could actually rest and Sabbath on the inside. And that's when I really started seeing changes in my life. So that's why when I went into that crazy corporate job, working crazy hours, like it was such a jolt to my spiritual life and to my values that... I realized no amount of money, no amount of money is worth my rest, my relationship with God, my relationship with my spouse. Like, it's just not worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other thing um, that when I think about my own experience with with the Sabbath and, and working every day and all the time and overworking and workaholism, um, a, a lot of it is I'm doing more um, because I, be, which has a lot of, uh, effects, but I think, and this is something I told a friend of mine after I'd kind of gone through that journey myself. I told her, "Um, I said, what if you did less and trusted God to do more?"
3: Mm. And
0: I think the Sabbath is also tied into that idea of trusting God, like that yeah. we are finite and dependent, and that God has to kind of fill the gaps. And the Sabbath is a way to sort of rec to acknowledge and recognize that, and then also to let God do His thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Sabbath goes completely against our American culture. Yeah. Meaning in America, we're told there are no limits. Like yeah. you can do anything it. you
0: want all the time, everywhere, all at
3: once. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I just saw a, a commercial the other day. I think it was from Jeep and uh, Will Arnett, I think, was the voiceover. Okay. And um, or maybe it's GMC. I don't know. One of one of those commercials. But anyways, the tagline was Jeep. There are no limits, yeah. And I thought, yeah, there are. <laughs> There's a lot of limits, yeah. and you know, we we are told by our society that you can have it all and, and be it all. And then, secondly, um, you know, independence.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, as an American, I'm independent and yeah. I don't need anyone or anything. And that's yeah. also in not. fact. We- you
0: better not tell me what to do or what to think or what to believe because
1: <laughs> it's American. <No. laughs> And the truth is, like, we need to be so dependent on God at all times for all things in good seasons and bad seasons, like he's our everything and and we need to to rest in him on the Sabbath and know he's got it covered. He can handle it.
0: So that that idea of uh, individual autonomy is an illusion. I think it's an illusion that we can sort of trick ourselves into believing when we're young and healthy, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. but this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's just the idea that we suffer from illusions. Uh, What do you think about that idea and how do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, definitely when we're, we're young and healthy, it's a lot easier to buy in that. Like my daughter's 26 and I I hear myself telling her things that are so obvious in my forties that There's no way I could have absorbed them in my 20s. But for some reason, I think she should be able to absorb them, you know. But um, I think as we begin to get older and we realize, you know, no amount of money, no, um, you know, herbal supplement and perfect health and like (laughs) those things, everything is shifting. Right. And like if we try and control and make sure our world is in a place of perfection, it just it's not. It's, we're never going to obtain it. It's not, yeah, not real. It really is an illusion. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll mismanage our imagination by going out into the future going, well, what if this happens? And what if this
3: happens mm.
1: instead of being in the, in the present where God is right. And what we try to do is put ourselves out in the future, trying to control. And so whenever those thoughts creep in, I just put my hand on my heart and I say out loud, I rest in the security of the gospel because that's, that's really all that I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt is true. Everything else is kind of made up.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good. So let's continue with your story. I guess before we jump to your leap here, rewind us back, like, are you an Atlanta native? Did you, how did you get here?
1: Yeah. So I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. Um, Grew up there and then went to the college of Charleston. Okay. And uh, once I graduated there, I was on my way to DC, but made just a quick pit stop in Atlanta and then never left. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to do politics, but ended up uh, doing television, um, you know, behind the scenes, television production, that kind of stuff uh, before getting called into the ministry. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now um uh, this because you're from south carolina i'm from arizona so i moved to the south and um the dynamics here particularly when it comes to race are very different um yeah. than than what i experienced so i'm curious if and then you were also involved with victory world church which is um it, it has over a hundred different countries um represented and there's a large population of black people and hispanics and just all a mix of uh, it's not a, a fully white church as a lot of churches can be, that diversity is there, but you also grew up in the South. I'm curious if you have any particular insights or experiences that have shaped who you are because of those particular uh, aspects of your story.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in you know predominantly white circles. And when I moved to Atlanta, a, a girl at my job said, hey, do you wanna to go to my church? I said, yeah, I don't have a church. I'll go with you. And um, she was African-American. And I walked in and there were all kinds of races at Victory. And my first thought was, oh, this isn't for me.
3: Mm.
1: And then I realized, am I a racist? (laughs) (laughs) I think I might be a racist. And so it was actually the first thing that God started working in my heart with. And it wasn't that I consciously thought I don't like people of other races. It was that I was unwilling to um, have a meal, be friends. Like, and I mean, at the root of that, that is, that is racist. Yeah. And so that was really the first thing that, um, God really uprooted in my heart when I started going to victory. And now when I walk into an environment, whether it's church, whether it's corporate and there's all white people, it's very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. But you know, where's the diversity and, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, my husband who was white, grew up in downtown Atlanta, where he was the only white person. Mm. And so, you know, we joke and say he didn't even know he was white
3: until he was like
1: 14. So um, it's just really interesting that we brought our two cultures together. And um, I'm, I'm so glad that that veil was lifted off my eyes in my 20s. Um, because the the richness that I've gotten to experience in other cultures and other races and the unity and the reconciliation has really been impactful in my life.
0: Yeah. So um obviously there are those folks that would be um considered or that would that are just blatantly racist, right? But I think for a majority of the population, they're probably fall more into the camp that you're describing. So yeah. What would you what would you say to them? You know, I think sometimes it can be so hostile, the the cultural dynamics. Um, So how do you sort of navigate that dynamic and what would you recommend to people, you know, in terms of like, Hey, what are your own prejudices and biases and and you should consider what those are and and work them out. What, what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me uh, when I was in my twenties, you know, we didn't have social media and, and all of that stuff. So for, I got there mentally because of a lack of exposure. Mm. You know, my, my parents didn't have friends of other races, at least that, that I knew of, or that we were exposed to. Um, so a lot of it was just ignorance. Um, nowadays, I don't know that we can use that as an excuse. Um, yeah. because, um, racial racial reconciliation is at such the forefront. Um, but I would encourage people get uncomfortable.
3: Mm-hmm
1: you know get out of your own circle of culture regardless of what you are white black hispanic asian whatever get out of your own culture and get into other people's life invite someone of another race to dinner yeah invite them to your house you know
0: yeah i like it and i I really love our neighborhood because we it's very diverse we've got um, a lot of people that are black and white and hispanic and um uh a lot of indian uh families in our neighborhood and i just i love how mixed we are Mm -hmm. and how much because just living together I think is a big part of it and our even our kids are their best friends um are half black half Mexican you know and we're half Mexican half white so it's just I don't know it's just interesting so
1: it's so important so yeah. important to expose our kids
0: definitely yeah so um all right so you make this leap to this cadence collective um tell us where that name come from how does that uh why why'd you pick that it's a pretty awesome name
1: Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, part of it had to do with the speed of life that I was running at. And, uh, one day the word cadence just kind of dropped in my heart and I looked it up and, you know, there's a a lot of connection to it in regards to music. Um, you know, the cadence of music. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, one definition I read said something about, uh, the length of your steps and, I thought, man, Mm. right now, the length of my steps are so long because I'm striving so hard and just so burned out. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could get a collective of people who want to run life at a different cadence? So Cadence Collective was born. And ironically, my first four or five clients all came in with, guess what? Burnout. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Guess what you are, right?
0: (laughs) So was it like they were in the middle of it or they were trying to recover from it?
1: A little bit of both. Um, some of them came in not knowing they were burned out, oh, which okay. I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. They came in wanting to know, hey, here's my plate and it's full. How do I add more stuff to my plate? Yeah. And I would ask my clients, is the goal to get a bigger plate or is it to take stuff off the plate and shrink mm. the plate and have some margin in their life? So yeah. um, it was, it was really interesting to sit across from clients going through burnout because I had just come out of it. Um, you know, b- between my quitting my corporate job and starting my company, my husband said, uh, you have to take a break. Like, yeah, not a, you know, organize the house kind of break and catch up on things that, <laughs> that fall, you know, through the cracks while you've been overworked, but literally take a break, rest and restore and and that's what I did and it was so needed so so needed.
2: Yeah.
0: So you made a couple thing comments that kind of got me curious. What um what do you think the relationship is between burnout and depression? Oh gosh.
1: I mean, I don't know statistically or what science says, but I mean, they've really got to be linked hand in hand, right? Because yeah. think think about burnout I mean, why are we burned out? I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think of me. And if you could remove those, would that change your depression? I mean, there's there's definitely, you know, clinical depression where, you know, hormones and chemicals are out of balance. That's one type of depression. But then I think there's also the, the self-inflicted depression. Mm. I'm just not good enough. I'm not performing well because there's too much on the plate. It's it's just mm-hmm. not realistic. The expectation is, is un, unrealistic. Yeah. And so also tell me, talk, talk
0: more about margin. I love margin. Me, um, me too. It's beautiful. <laughs>
1: it's so beautiful. And, you know, when you, when you look at a piece of paper, right. And you've got those red lines. It, it's called margin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And and people know when you write on a piece of paper, you stay within those lines to create margin. But for whatever reason, when it comes to our life and our schedule and family, we think somewhere inside of us, we're limitless. We are God and we can do more than is Mm -hmm. humanly possible. And for me, margin is the secret sauce of life. You know, when, when you are able to slow down and have silence and solitude, so much is revealed to you. And, you know, I I have seasons where the margin sometimes gets a little small, but I pull back and remember, okay, I know what it's like to live without margin. What do we need to take off the plate? What do we need to delegate to get that margin back? I mean, it's it's my life source, Jason. Yeah. You know, I have to.
0: Well, and as a funny, as a fun or a insightful exercise, if someone were to take that piece of paper and, and print it without the margins, if it, it's hard to read and it's very uncomfortable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so I think if we can, I think you have to live with margin to feel that discomfort. Um, yeah. but I think that's the idea is we should be uncomfortable without margin. I'll give you like a one, a, another example I think of. On social media i see all these people these videos of people like they're hanging from skyscrapers like with a finger or something you know and i'm just thinking well you know if they got a cramp you know it's over they're dead and uh, some people have died and i'm thinking like that's living on the edge right yeah. um and there's an excitement that comes with that but that's that's also foolish in another sense so
1: <laughs> yeah and it's almost like you know clients would come in with their full plate right And, you know, if you, if you think of a dinner plate and how you can put a salad plate in it, that's, you know, the same shape of of the inside and you have all that margin, right? Mm -hmm. So what we would begin to do is take things off their dinner plate and fit it into a salad plate.
3: Mm -hmm. They would
1: leave, they would come back two weeks later and they had replaced the salad plate with the dinner plate (laughs) and there's no margin yeah and so i'm a huge proponent of systems and productivity and podcasts and all of that stuff and i realized i was teaching them how to be productive but i wasn't teaching them how to be a person with margin and there's a mm-hmm. big big difference yeah. and so i started to to change my strategy but it was less about doing and more about being. And I started mm-hmm. to see a lot more results in my clients. Yeah. life.
0: Become the type of person who wants margin, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And,
1: and you and have that to is... be comfortable with the discomfort of, of silence and some boredom. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't okay with that. So they fill the plate. Yeah.
2: And
0: that definitely is probably an age thing. Cause I can, I really, I love that margin now, but when I was younger, it was like, I, was, I didn't like the boredom, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. but I had a, I had a one, a fun, interesting experience, um, about learning about margin. Um, I was, I used, when I used to, um, had a margin company and was doing too many things. And a lot of times I would be late to things because I didn't have margin. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I was like wanting to be late or I was, it was just, you know, meeting after meeting stacked on top of each other. Right. So, um, I had to go to somewhere in Gwinnett and, I was driving and there was someone broke down on the side of the road and I felt like God was prompting me to stop and help them. But then I was like, I can't. Sorry, God, I got to be here. I'm already 20 minutes late. I need to get there now. So I just went on my merry way. <laughs> and so I as I'm driving, I'm obviously speeding. And so I get pulled over and I get a ticket. Oh
3: no! And God's
0: kind of like telling me, you're going to be late super late either way, you could either help or you could get a ticket, but you're going to be late. So it was just kind that's of this great. lesson in in, mar- in margin. So
1: yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> so,
0: all right. So you jumped to, from, I guess, pretty stable corporate and ministry jobs to all of a sudden you're in the, the ocean waves of entrepreneurship and freelancing and yeah. um as someone who hasn't done that and even as someone who has like myself it's no uh picnic <laughs> it's a no, terrifying it's endeavor terrifying
1: absolutely terrifying <laughs> so tell and us about wouldn't that i would recommend it as a way of starting a business um you know thankfully uh we've always lived way below our means Um, so even when, you know, I was in corporate careers, making a lot of money, we were socking a lot of it away and saving. So I had a bit of a runway to get my business up and going, but still it was, it was very, very stressful. Very, very stressful.
0: And was the terror before you leaped or did it not hit you until after? (laughs) Um, Or has it not hit you yet? You know, it's hitting
1: me right now. In the <laughs> Can we do some therapy? Um, you know, I, I think I have been wanting to do this for so long that when I got in that corporate job that was draining me, the day I quit, I, I ironically had a coaching session already scheduled with my coach. And, you know, I told him, you know, what was happening at the job and, um, what was happening, happening with me mentally and physically and spiritually. And on that call is when I made the decision. Okay. I I think it's time to leave. Yeah. So that night my husband comes home and I said, Hey, I, I'm, I really want to quit my job. He goes, I know. I was like, no, no, no. I want to quit my job tomorrow. He's like, (laughs) "Uh, Oh, (laughs) and you know, he's in ministry. I'm in corporate. So I'm the breadwinner, you know? And he's like, Oh, tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so it's like 10 30 at night. He said, Let me take a walk. So he takes a walk. He prays about it. And Jason, while he was gone, my prayer wasn't God, you know, tell him I can quit my job. <laughs> you know, get the green light from the husband. My prayer was whatever he comes back with, let my heart be able to submit to it yeah because i really really knew it was time to leave the job and while he was gone i made a list of all the times in our marriage that ju- that god said jump and we mm. took the leap, and it worked out that he came wow. through for us yeah so my husband comes back in the door and i couldn't read him you know i'm like i i don't know like is it a yes or is it a no and he and he sat down and he said you know what he said i feel like it's time for you to bet on yourself he's like i want you to resign tomorrow. So I called my boss the next morning and, and resigned. And, and you know how it is in sales and marketing, they escort you out of the door. So,
3: um, <laughs> week,
1: you know, two week resignation notice, it was, please email, you know, your stuff and send your computer back kind of thing. Yeah. So,
3: uh,
1: which was fine, which was yeah. fine.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's quite a leap. So, um, yeah, I, I man, so many thoughts come to my mind, but I think there's such a, a a growing experience. One of the things that I guess comes to mind, and I'm working on my third book. It's called From the Garden to the Cross, and um, there's so much about Jesus' passion experience that I think is relatable in, in these types of moments. Um, but one of them is when Jesus is walking to uh, Golgotha and um, the the women are following him, and they they're they're crying and they're like pitying him. And he, t- he tells them, you it it's almost like offensive, like he tells them, do not pity me, pity those that are going to be affected by what I'm doing. Um, And but the interesting thing is, he's, he's not to be pitied, because he's not a victim in the sense of he's, he's um, choosing this mission, he's yeah. choosing the pain for something greater for this mission, this vision. And I think entrepreneurship and the leap that you've made and the leap that I've made and many others have made is Yes it's painful and difficult and challenging but it's not without a purpose it's not without a vision so what would you add to that or or speak into that dynamic
1: Yeah I I love the way you position Jesus as an owner versus a victim right
3: yeah.
1: um the the great Steve Chandler who was the godfather of coaching yeah. Um, he talks a lot about the victim owner choice and how mm. it shows up in our life on a regular basis. You know, you might hear it when people say, I'm overwhelmed. Overwhelm is a choice, but they're a victim to it. So mm. they just accept that they're overwhelmed. Or you might hear it in people's language when they say, I should go see my doctor or I should go to church or I should spend time with my kids. Like it's very victim language. And you know the words that we speak they form our reality, right, yeah. and they form our mindset, and so you know whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's what Jesus <laughs> did for us, going to the cross, like having that ownership mentality really can make or break you in life, yeah. and I mean, you have five kids, you know like <laughs> you know being able to stay in in that ownership versus victim mentality is so important as a parent as a business owner um. And I see it constantly showing up in my clients, you know, in their language. And a lot of people who come to me, Jason, they are, you know, go-getters. They've got a lot going on. I mean, most people don't seek out coaching because they're lazy or don't want to go to the next level. And so whenever this shows up in their language, I'll usually send them um, Steve Chandler's recording called Mm -hmm. Victim Versus Owner. And they're offended. Like, why would Mm. you? I'm not a victim. Yeah, and you know it's sneaky, right? It's really sneaky how it creeps into our, our thinking and our and our yeah. our language. So yeah, and it's uh, definitely
0: polluted our politics on both sides of the aisle, and yeah. and we revel in it. And yeah, it's it's it can be can be a nasty thing. And and I think it it shortchanges people that are truly victims or in a victim situation yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, so you're a coach. Life coach, what does it mean to live better? What does it mean to work smarter? What does that mean to you? Mm. How do you think about those ideas?
1: Yeah, so living better, I feel like we we kind of touched on it. The silence and solitude, the margin, yeah, um, has, has been transformational for me. Working smarter, so kind of two camp, two you know uh, camps of thought. So you know, there's the the delegate, the automate, the the outsource, that is, I think, a beautiful way to work smarter. Like if you're not good at it, either delegate it or decide you're going to become good at it. And yeah. you don't have to be good at everything to be an entrepreneur, thank God. Because <laughs> there's a lot to be good at. Um, for example, uh, accounting. Um, you know, I when I first started my business, I knew that part was important, but I wasn't really sure like how to do it. So Jason, what I did is I just opened a business account and every time I got paid, I would just throw the money in that business account. Yeah. And about six months into my business, my husband said, Hey, I'm curious. um, Was the expectation that we would just put your money in a business account and never bring it to the household budget? (laughs) Like, Were you never going to pay yourself? And the truth was, I kind of had my head in the sand, like, I wasn't sure how much to do for taxes and how much to reinvest in the business. So I just stuck my head in the sand and decided I'm just going to outwork my stupidity. I'm just going to keep putting. <laughs> so instead, what I did is uh, I met with a coach and you know, he told me about a company that he uses that does everything for them. And I realized, Jason, whenever I would get paid from a client, I would have this pit in my stomach like, I don't know what to do with that money. And then once I hired this company and, you know, they do everything for me, it was almost like energetically I was pushing money away. And then when I hired them, clients just started coming. Mm. And all of that to say, work smarter, outsource things that you're not good at. I I don't need to become an accountant. I don't need to learn QuickBooks. Like, that's not my strength. Connecting with humans is my strength. So, um, that's definitely one way to work smarter. And another way is really understanding how you're wired as an entrepreneur. So when I started my practice, I went out, I rented an office. Um, I shared, um, there were four of us, you know, four offices in a pod. It was me and three other therapists. And I thought, this is going to be amazing. Um, We're going to be able to refer back and forth to each other because sometimes people come in for life coaching, but they really need therapy. So I have to refer them out. Um, You know, I'll have colleagues that I can bounce stuff off of. What ended up happening is just like I was in session, these therapists were in session and there wasn't a lot of like collaborating. And and I realized I'm so used to being on teams, leading Mm. teams, being a part of teams that I felt very... Lonely and isolated in this office all by myself all day, and my productivity really started to tank. So I decided I'm not wired to be alone all day. It's just not not who I mm-hmm. am. So I let go of that private office and I went to a co-working space, and my productivity shot up because yeah. there's people around, um, there's activity, there you, you know what I mean? it just really gave me life and. Um, I still have the private office option if I, you know, meeting with a client, but having all of those people around at the same time really helped me work way smarter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. And I think it's so interesting how when we make such a dramatic change, you know, going from working for corporate company and as a team and then going to yourself, doing your own thing and how we learn about ourselves. I mean, one of the things when I shut down my marketing company and switched to freelancing, um, one of the things I learned about myself was that, um, I, I love the team and, but for me, um, the team was also a, uh, a shield. I used the team as a shield. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when, in, t- in terms of conflict or whatever it might've been, um, and so now as a freelancer, I'm like, I'm like right on the front lines, right direct with the client, with whoever it is. And if things don't go wrong, like I'm the one where the buck stops. Right. So that was that was an interesting thing I learned about myself by experiencing something different.
1: That's some fantastic awareness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So um, I'm curious, you know, how you think about mentoring. So that kind of that kind of you're helping to bring that awareness to others. But your business model is almost like, hey, you're a professional mentor, you know, right? So tell us, tell me how you think about mentoring. Um, And I'd also be curious. I think there's been such a shift even since I've entered the workforce, you know, I'm 38 um, in terms of just the stigma that maybe there was with coaching or with therapy that doesn't seem to be the case as much anymore. Um, and I don't know how that kind of plays a role, but mentoring and coaching, those seem to be like a positive let's go do it thing versus before it was kind of maybe um, either looked down upon or maybe it was just people didn't really show you how to do it. I don't know.
2: Thoughts?
1: Yeah. I I feel like there's been such a shift, you know, therapists and coaches, um, the stigma change. Cause you know, obviously athletes have coaches and no one thinks, twice about that they're like oh yeah you, you know, you're know, you an athlete you need a coach um and not that athletics aren't important i mean obviously they're important especially if you're you know tom brady or lebron james <laughs> but how much more important is a coach for your life mm-hmm. you know there's so many areas that that we get stuck in and um having someone i like to say when you're in the jar you can't read the label mm. you know Whereas as a in coach, fact, it's
0: all probably backwards if you try. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah that's, that's a great point. I've never
3: thought about, that. um,
1: as a coach, I'm on the outside and I'm able to read the label and help you yeah. see things you can't see, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes people come in and they need a therapist, but maybe there's still stigma there for them. Mm-hmm. They kind of take a baby step into coaching and, you know, when that happens, you know, I refer them out to uh, uh, to a therapist. But, you know, a lot of people ask, what's the difference between a therapist and a coach? And they're two very different functions. And a therapist does a fantastic job at holding space to look at your past. A coach does a fantastic job holding space to look at your future.
3: Uh, now, who you
1: are today as present Jason Past and present are going to overlap, and that's okay because sometimes your past is going to come into your present, but if it's things of um, a traumatic nature, if someone is experiencing trauma, if they're in active addiction, if they're clinically depressed, if they have untreated anxiety, those are things I reserve for therapists. Mm. Um, Clients that come in and they're feeling stuck or want to make a shift towards the future, that's a good coaching
0: client. Yeah. Now, I think in some ways, um, therapy we've over-therapied therapized ourselves. Uh, in the <laughs> sense of like there's some aspects of it where it's becomes more about reassuring people mm-hmm. or telling them what they want to hear versus really working through things, whether it's the past or the future. So, I don't does that apply at all and, and do you see that and do you agree or disagree?
1: Yeah. So I think a lot of times people get coaches and consultants mixed up, right? Mm -hmm. Like you come in and you want me to tell you what to do with your life. That's a consultant, right? Okay. And there are times that I operate in that, but it's real clear in the coaching container that that's how we're operating. I am now being a consultant. Got it. Coaching is more listening and observing. Because very few people actually have people that will truly, deeply listen to them.
3: Mm.
1: And then, you know, a good coach will offer things to their client Mm -hmm. and not make their decisions, not tell them how to live their life, but offer things to them. And then the client is empowered to make decisions because Jason, I truly believe that you have what you need on the inside of you to make the right decision. You just need someone to listen to you and offer some suggestions so that you can be guided towards that right decision. Does mm. that make sense? And that's yeah. where I felt mentors have been so phenomenally in- instrumental in my life because I had mentors before I even knew the language. You know, yeah. when I first moved to Atlanta, I was spiritually a hot mess. I would kind of messed up my life a bit and found victory in my first spiritual mentor took me to lunch and she sat me down and she asked me, how do you want to live your life? Is what you're doing right now, is that serving you? And I said, no, but I don't, I don't know how to do it different. She said, let me show you. Mm-hmm. And so that was my first official mentor. And I would contribute mentorship to ending up as a coach because yeah. I had a coach changed my life who was so transformational. I thought, wow, could I do this for other people? Yeah. And so that's how I kind landed up in, in this field. Yeah. So how
0: would you differentiate or where is the overlap between a parent and a mentor?
1: A parent and a mentor? Yeah. Okay. That's such a great question for me, Jason, because I am both, I am a parent <laughs> and a mentor. And, you know, in coaching, they say, Hey, don't coach your family, which I totally agree with. Yeah. But, you know, I have a daughter who, you know, recognizes my gifts and she said, Hey, could we do a session? And so, um, you know, I said on one condition. If we go into this coaching container, I'm not your mom, I'm your coach. And, you know, there are a lot of overlaps to to parenting and mentoring and coaching because, again, we don't want to make decisions for our clients or our children, right? My daughter's 26. I know your kids are smaller and, you know, she has agency. She's an adult. She gets to make her own decisions and being able to take that mom hat off and really treat her as an adult has been beautiful in our relationship. And at the end of the day, that's how people want to be treated, right? Like they have agency and they're able to think for themselves and they can make their own decisions.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned the, uh, the listening and I think, you know, as humans, we want to be known and heard and, um, Perhaps a large number of people, or a large portion of our lives, we don't feel known or we don't feel heard. How does that affect us?
1: Well, I think listening is tied to our our survival at a core level, meaning, you know, whenever um, a reptile is born, right? Let's say a lizard's born and the lizard busts out of the the egg, the first thing the lizard does is he takes off because the mama lizard could eat him. Like he's, he's yeah. in survival mode, right? Take a baby elephant, for example. When a baby elephant is born, it has to literally learn how to stand up before it can eat because you know the mom is so tall and he's he literally has to do that. So as a human, when humans are born, we, we can't defend ourselves. We can't feed ourselves. So the way that we survive is we cry out. Mm. And if someone listens to us, we survive.
3: Mm. If no one
1: comes, we don't survive. And I feel like we carry that through our lives, right? Like to survive emotionally, to live a full life, I need to be heard. And you're right. So many people don't have a place where they can be heard. Yeah. There's a beautiful book by um, a coach named Nancy Klein. And it's all about listening, the importance of listening, being heard, listening to other people. Um, And it really is an art form. It's yeah.
0: Totally an yeah, and there's something there too. Um, one, uh, when we're when we're not heard or known, um, and we and we and we're helpless, it's it's very terrorizing. Um, but when we're known and heard and and someone is there for us, being helpless can be actually a positive thing. Yeah. And so like like the baby in that case, you know, the baby's being fed and then it's happy, you know, right? So it's such yeah. an interesting. But that helplessness can also be like a horrible. Feeling that we want to escape and never feel again yeah yeah so let's talk about stories how have stories real or fictional shaped you as a person
1: <laughs> so I'm a product of the 80s okay um, the movies that came out in the 80s top gun um, dirty dancing over the top with Sylvester Stallone like All of those movies were about being the underdog and, you know, fighting the obstacles, the hero's journey. And I think that really got down into my DNA. Like I love when, you know, it looks like it's not going to work out and the chips are against you. And Mm. you know what I mean? Something just rises up in me and goes, okay, we're, we're going to figure this out. And I think that narrative has served me well as an Mm. entrepreneur, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, right? Like sometimes <laughs> you're not sure if things are going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know, having those narratives, and I don't—you're a lot younger than me, Jason—but <laughs> there was uh, a movie over the top where Sylvester Stallone was like a truck driver, and okay. he lost um, guardianship of his son or something, and he had to like do these arm wrestling competitions in order to get a son back. And I mean, it's so dumb, right? Yeah. Like it's so, dumb. but it just, I don't know, something just awakens inside of you that goes, okay, I can overcome. I can do this. And yeah. Um. now that we're talking about it, I might go back and watch that.
0: movie, <laughs> Rewatch it. Yeah. Well, I, the story I think of in the, in the old Testament is when Moses and the Israelites, they get to the red sea and there's like yeah. no way forward. It's like, what do we do now? Yeah. They're closing in. And it just seems like there's no, uh, there's no path forward and that path is, is yet to be made. Yeah. Um, but there is something too about having agency in overcoming, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And And I, I think at the core of us, we want to be able to make our own decisions, right? Like, you know, even in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit, you know a lot of people like well why didn't god intervene why didn't because we have free will like he loves us so much that we have free will and i think we still carry that today like we want to be able to make yeah. our own decisions and that that agency
2: yeah
0: now what about systems how do you think about systems whether they're mental uh, personal or business yeah. what are what do you think about
1: systems are my jam i love <laughs> systems. <laughs> you Tell know us james about was- it. <laughs> says, um, I think the quote is something like, um, you don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems, Mm -hmm. which basically is saying like, you can have all the best intentions, but if you don't have a system in place, then it's probably not going to get done. And, and the interesting thing is we all have systems. Some are intentional and some are unintentional. For example, I used to have a system where I would come home and just throw my keys wherever. Yeah. And then I would go to leave. <laughs> looking for them.
2: <laughs> and
1: find my keys. And I was like, this system is not serving me anymore. So now I have a key tray and I put my keys there. That is my system. So. Um,
0: well, just pause I, there for a second. Just because of, and this plays out in every part of your life, but how much time do we waste looking for things? Uh, Files on our computer, keys in the house. You so know, much. Where's my car? You know, (laughs) in the in this in that Disney parking lot. Hopefully, not at home. (laughs) Right,
1: and and you know, there's again to kind of do a callback to margin. Mm. If you don't have margin and you're always rushing, then you don't Mm. slow down to go. Let me evaluate this system. Is it working? (laughs) Should I do something different? You know? Yeah. So two systems that I implement and really love. One of them is called the review preview. Yeah. Um I don't remember where I learned this from. I'm sure a podcast or a book or something, but basically at the end of the day, I review the day to see, okay, is there anything I need to deliver that I promised a client? Is there anyone I need to follow up with? Do I need to send an invoice? I just go through and make mm. sure that day is complete, that loop is closed so that my mind can shut off and I'm not thinking about work when I get home. Yeah. And then the preview part is okay, what's coming up tomorrow? what you know tools resources what do i need to walk in tomorrow and start start my day off on the right foot so yeah. that has been super helpful to calm my brain from constantly thinking because as an entrepreneur you're not 9 to 5
3: mm-hmm. you know
1: you're you're 24/7 and that eats up your margin so the yeah. review review really helps and then i do something called the future me plan so i sit down with a piece of paper like literally paper and pen, and I write out exactly what I'm going to do the next day within 24 hours. So, you know, it's very detailed. 6 a.m., wake up, quiet time, coffee. 6.30, shower. Like, I itemize it one by one, not do to be Do you just rigid.
0: do an order of execution or do you actually put a time next to them all?
1: I put a time next to it. Yeah. And it's not to be rigid. <clears throat> it's making a promise to my future self. This is what future Liz is planning to do.
3: Yeah. And
1: it, it can change, but not within that 24 hours. If yeah. I said I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna change it. So now granted, if there's blood involved or loss of a limb, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean there there are exceptions, right? Like things happen, but that should be the exception, not the rule. Mm. And so what I like to do during my um during my review is I like to see how often did I show up for future Liz? Because that builds confidence in getting things done. That builds Mm -hmm. confidence in holding uh, my word to myself and having integrity with myself. Because Jason, truth is, I'm not going to not show up for a meeting with you, but I might not show up for a meeting with me because, oh, I'll just put myself last and I'll do it later. Mm. So that future me exercise shows me this is what I'm agreeing to do the next 24 hours.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's you talk about past and future you and um I'm working on my book and it's been hard. I've been working on it almost 3 years now. And <laughs> I'm very grateful for all the work past me has done. <laughs> um and I felt that way even about like the other two books that I've written, uh the jumping path the freelancer. Like I'm very grateful for the past what past me has done. So that's a it's an interesting idea um to think of yourself um as another person in a way, you know, I'm curious where that comes from for you and how that helps you.
1: Yeah. So I actually like to think of myself, um, present future and past, right? So sometimes when I, you know, feel like I've hit an obstacle and I'm not sure how to move forward, I'll pause and I'll ask future Liz for wisdom. So if you were to conquer this obstacle, how did you do it? And it really allows your brain to open up and get super creative. Well, here's what you did. You reached out to that person, you overcame the, you know what I mean? Like it Mm -hmm. really starts to give you the freedom to get creative because a lot of times when we hit obstacles, we want to look for the answer out there. We want to, you know, call a coach, call our mentor, Google it, go on YouTube versus just taking a moment and getting still and going, okay, if I had conquered this. What mm-hmm. did future Liz do to make this happen? Yeah. Because the answers are within us already, right?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So um when when sometimes I guess when you hit a sometimes it maybe is best to not overcome it. So how would you differentiate that versus overcoming it?
1: Meaning like if I had an obstacle that I failed at.
0: Well, maybe it was like an obstacle that you could brainstorm overcoming and that may be the appropriate step, but maybe this is an obstacle that's revealing that maybe this, like maybe even like the the money thing, like we talked about delegating, um, that this is an obstacle I should overcome, or maybe I should delegate it, or maybe I should just stop. Maybe I'm doing a part of uh, a service in my business that maybe I just need to stop doing that altogether.
3: Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. So I think some self-awareness of like the money example for for example, like I could have YouTubed and spent a good 15, 20 hours trying to figure out QuickBooks and, you know, what's compliant in the state of Georgia and my LLC and my S Corp. I could have researched all of that. I'm very intelligent. Given some time, I could figure it out. But you have to evaluate how does that affect future Liz? If mm-hmm. I spend 20 hours figuring out how to be an accountant versus paying someone else to do it, when I could be out in my zone of genius yeah. coaching people. You know, I'm, I'm a really, really good coach. I'm an awful accountant. Yeah. And so I think some self-awareness of going, okay, is this an obstacle I can overcome? Probably. But how does it affect future Liz? Should I delegate that out? Should I outsource that?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What else? What parting words of wisdom do you have? What else did you want to share that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet?
1: Yeah, I feel like we've gone in a lot of fun directions today. <laughs> Um I love talking about coaching as you can tell. Yeah. Um I'd say just, you know, I would encourage your listeners and your viewers that you know, we have maybe 80 to 9 years on this planet if we're lucky. Right? And I truly believe Jason that everyone has greatness on the inside of them, but we don't all know how to extract that greatness. And you know, we put obstacles in the way, there's fear. I I just want to encourage you Go for the greatness, like whatever you have to do to get the obstacles out of the way. If it's, you know, writing the book, having the baby, starting the family, you know, taking the leap to start the business, whatever it is, don't die with regret. Yeah. Go after what's inside of you.
0: Yeah. So what would you say to the person that's like, okay, that sounds great, but you don't know me. You don't know the bad things I've done. You don't know the ways I failed. What would you say to that person?
1: Um, I would say, I bet I do know you because you're not unique. You know, we've all failed. We've all done some really dumb stuff. We've all made mistakes. And I would say that is the victim mentality creeping in, holding you back because our brain is wired for two things, safety and efficiency, right? So for example, when you drive to work, well, you don't drive to work, you (laughs) walk to your (laughs) <laughs> I walk garage. through the
0: garage and then I come in. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, when you're driving to work every day, your brain doesn't really remember, you know what I mean? Like, you know how you get to work mm-hmm. and you're like, how did I get here? It's because your brain went, okay, you do this every day. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to automate that and put it in your subconscious. Right. Yeah. So, then when you have thoughts that are constantly going over and over, like, I'm not good enough. I couldn't leap. I couldn't, you know, go after my greatness. Your brain goes, oh, okay, let's be efficient. That thought's coming up a a lot. I'm not good enough. So I'm going to put that in the subconscious and I'm just going to automate it. So now you're walking around with automated thoughts that really aren't true. Mm. So, you know, between efficiency and then you couple that with your brain's second function, safety, hey, don't leave the cave because there's a big lion out there that's going to eat you. You pair those two together and you won't go after your greatness
3: mm. so I think
1: you you've got to get down to the thoughts like what are the thoughts that are running my life and that's where real change starts to happen
0: yeah I think of the the um, the passage of scripture take your thoughts captive when you when you say that as that like a practical way to do that
2: right
1: yeah and you know I had heard that scripture like my whole Christian life. And it wasn't until I really started finding a tangible way. My coach taught me how to tangibly take the thoughts, put them in a thought model, figure out what was in my subconscious and change them that my life started to change. And, you know, the, the coach that came up with it, it's called the thought model. To my knowledge, she's not a believer, but people are amazed at how well this model works. And when I saw it, I went, oh, it works because it's scripture. (laughs) Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Any, anything else you want to share before we uh, wrap up? (laughs) Any closing thoughts. Things you're learning.
1: Yeah. I, um, right now I'm really enjoying an amazing book. Uh, it's called the divine mentor.
3: Okay. And,
1: um, you know, I was reading it this morning before we got on the call. And I think it's interesting that we talked about mentors because the book talks about letting, you know, uh, you know, ancient sages of the scripture be your mentor and, Mm. um, just a lot of value in seeing how other people have done life, the good ways, the bad ways, and extracting those lessons so that we don't have to repeat them. It's, it's kind of like, in a way it's kind of like walking through a wormhole, right? Like yeah. I get to advance life without having to go through all the mistakes. So, so it's an amazing yeah. book. It's my second read through. And oh, wow. the first read through is full of highlights and comments. Yeah. And it's fun to go through a second time and read it and, and see the things that I missed.
0: Yeah. It's interesting uh, that you mentioned that. Cause in a way I've, I've been doing that as I'm working on my book, um, I've read a lot of books and one of the things I've been wanting to do is um, Find people who have been in the darkest of places and see what they Mm. say. Um, So I have uh, I have this book. This is one example here. This is called "The Drowned and the Saved" by Primo Levi, and he Mm. um, he was in the Jewish concentration camps in uh, Nazi Germany. And um, this book was his attempt to, as he says it in the beginning, his impassioned attempt to understand the rationale behind the concentration camps. And um, it's a very powerful book. He talks about the gray zone, which is where I kind of how I stumbled upon it. And I didn't know this until I read it. But there, were, um, in the concentration camps, the Nazis actually would uh, tell some of the tell the Jews if they ran the the furnaces, they would be able to live a little bit longer. And most of the Jews rejected it, but some of them, some of them actually did it. And so he talks about this like moral gray zone of And how do you even reconcile that dynamic so what's
1: the name of the book again
0: so it's called the 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 drowned and the saved that sounds Um, amazing so many powerful insights but i i I read a lot of these and part of it is you know i've had my own experiences ups and downs and dark nights of the soul um but there are some things i'm just never going to experience um but i want to learn those things and i think they relate to the cross um because i think that's where they all intersect
1: yeah have you um, heard of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for uh, Meaning? I have heard
0: of it and I've uh, read some quotes and stuff, but I've never actually read that one. Yeah, so it's,
1: um, it's very impactful. I, if you like what you're reading now, I think you'd really like this one as well.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. so let's say someone is interested in, hey, Liz, I want a coach. I need a coach. You're the coach for me. Like who's, who's that person? What do they look like? Who, who would be um, the right Uh, person or leader or team, um, to go, Hey, we should, we should talk to Cadence Collective.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say the ideal client is someone who is well walking, meaning, you know, they're not, uh, struggling with, you know, uh, active trauma, active addiction, um, those type of things. They're well walking is what we kind of call it in the industry. Um, and maybe they're stuck trying to get to the next level, or maybe they know there's more on the other side, but I need someone to help extract it. I need someone to help get it out of me. Um, I have everyone from students to CEOs. Um, I have a lot of female entrepreneurs. I think, you know, you attract what you are. Um, But yeah, if you are human with a brain, I could probably help you.
0: (laughs) And are there any specific types of problems, you know, like burnout or, um, I think we talked about that before, but any, any particular, maybe seasons of life or triggers that someone might, um, go, Oh, that would probably be a good time to talk to a coach that maybe they hadn't thought about a coach as an option to, to deal with that.
1: Yeah, I think, um, any major times of transition. So Mm -hmm. transitioning from jobs, um, transitioning seasons of life. Uh, I have one client who just recently became an empty nester. Now she has all this time and she's not really sure, you know, what's next. Um, I have a CEO that went through a, a pretty rough season and his career took a break and is now back in a CEO position. So um, anything that deals with transition
0: mm. um, would be
1: a good time to reach out to a coach. Okay.
0: And your website is Is thecadencecollective.co. Did I get that right? Yep,
1: cadencecollective.co. And um, if you are interested in learning what it might look like to have a coach in your corner, um, on my website in the top right corner, there's a section that says complimentary session. And what I offer is 60 minutes of a complimentary session of actual coaching. This isn't a discovery call where we get on and I talk all about my business and my packages and no, this is 60 minutes focused on you. And the best part is it's a gift. There's no sales pitch at the end, no strings attached. We could get a lot done in 60 minutes. And you know, this is for people who either they've tried coaching in the past and maybe didn't have the best experience or they're absolutely new to coaching. And they just want to see like, what does a coach do? I'd love to gift you that experience for your listeners.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, so they can just go to um, your website, thecadencecollective.co and click that button.
1: Yep, Um, reach out.
0: Cool. Anything else uh, on that front?
1: No, I feel like we covered a lot today. I really appreciate you letting me be on and um, a lot of fun conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your life with us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.